Good evening, everyone. Feliz Martes. Uh, that means Happy Tuesday. So glad you could join us tonight on this weekly edition of our Neolife product conference call. My name is Cesar Galarza, Director of Sales for Neolife North America, reporting to you here from your very own Neolife office in sunny Los Angeles. And uh, I'll tell you what, whether it's LA, Fremont, California, or anywhere around the world, it is always a great day here at Neolife. All right, well, tonight we will discuss metabolic health. And to help us share more, we have a very special guest. His, he is the director of the Scientific Advisory Board, Mr. John Miller, who happens to be one of my favorite speakers. You will hear from John in just a few more minutes. Also, you'll hear an incredible testimony from Arlene Morris. She has a whole lot to share with you today on her incredible story regarding her husband. I think you guys will really enjoy it. But before we get started, here are a few updates on the latest and greatest here at Neolife North America. Check out the new Lifestyle magazine. You may have received a copy in the mail. And you can also obtain a digital version in your back office under the News, Events, and Publications tab. And by the way, hats off to our marketing team. They continue to raise the bar. This last issue, I do have to say, looks like like a cover page from Vogue magazine. That's how good it looks. So hats off to the marketing team. Well done. We also have uh, good news regarding the Weight Management Program Guide. This applies to all brand new U.S. or Canadian promoters along with club members who get started with the breakfast pack or the weight loss pack. That's what we call the shape up pack as well. You will get a free, you heard that right, a free weight management program guide added to your initial order. This guide will serve as a roadmap to getting you started to achieving your weight loss goals and being your best. The Neolife Weight Management Program is backed by science and the guide is a rich rich source of recipes, healthy meal plans, uh, simple exercises are in there, and it even has your very own personalized tracker. Well, those are our updates. With that said, let's now hear an awesome testimony from Arlene Morris. And from there, we will turn the call over to our product manager, Cheryl Siskroyd. Enjoy the call, everyone. Hi, my name is Arlene Morris. And I'm a Sapphire director with Neolife. We've been with Neolife for a little over six years now. Uh, my job before Neolife was to work with homeschoolers. I've been working with homeschoolers as an administrator in homeschooling uh, help for about 30 years. Uh, I've been working out of that and into my Neolife business more. My story really that got us going with Neolife is that my husband's cholesterol was extremely high. His triglycerides especially were very high and his HDL, the good stuff, he could never get up to the right number um, what the doctors wanted. We had uh, changed a lot of things in our diet previously, but as we learned about Neolife, we changed a few more things in, in diet and just got a little more strict about a few things, but that wasn't, of course, cutting it in itself. So when we started on Neolife and the products, especially uh, the carotenoid complex, salmon oil, lipotropic, uh, trianin, those are probably the main things that he used in a little bit larger quantities. And from the time he started, five months later, he had his next blood work done. And all his cholesterol numbers were right in line with what they wanted. It was just amazing because we'd been working on it for nearly 10 years to get those numbers lined up. So we are definitely neolifers for life. And hello, everyone. This is Cheryl's is great, and we're in for a very special call. Today, we have Director John Miller talking to you about a very large topic. 
we'll be looking at both metabolic health and metabolic syndrome. When I refer to metabolic health, what I mean is it's the function of every cell in your body. We're going to be looking at your body holistically. Then we'll be talking about a newer concept, metabolic syndrome. This has only entered our medical textbooks in 1998, but it's as widespread as the common cold at your child's daycare. According to the American Heart Association, 47 million Americans have it today. That is one in every six. Pretty crazy. So without further ado, John, thank you so much for being with us today. Well, hi, Cheryl. Hi. <laughs> Always nice to be here with you. And uh, hi to everyone that's listening in. Uh, you know, metabolic health and metabolic syndrome are very interrelated, but one obviously because they're both about metabolic. But actually, metabolic syndrome is a component of metabolic health. Metabolic syndrome is a series of biomarkers in, uh, in our body that sort of point us at diabetes. It's a calculation that's made off of uh, weight, body mass index, waist circumference and the circumference of other parts of your body, your cholesterol levels, your triglyceride levels, and things like that. And when all of those get into a certain sort of situation, into certain levels, um, they add up to being uh, a number that qualifies you as having metabolic syndrome. But metabolic health is an, an entirely bigger picture than that. Metabolic health is literally about everything that goes on in the body. Think of it this way, okay, metabolism is every reaction, biochemical or physical reaction that takes place in your body uh, throughout, your, uh, throughout your day. It starts at the cells and works their way up through the tissues those cells make into the organs those tissues make and into the systems that those organs make. And it's the function of all of those things that are looked at that determine your metabolic health, how all of those elements are working. So if you think about it, it all starts with the cell. How healthy your cells are, how metabolically well they are functioning, determines the metabolic health of the entire system from there. So I'll give you a couple of examples. Um, within this concept of metabolic health, which like I said is literally everything, we have a component called cardiometabolic health. And as you might guess, that relates to your heart. And cardiometabolic health is a whole series of biomarkers that can be picked up in your um, going and getting your normal blood tests and seeing the doctors and so on and so forth that can be measured. And those measures determine your sort of health status. So in a cardiometabolic sense, if we think about blood pressure, blood cholesterol levels, blood glucose levels, those sorts of things, plus cardiac function, if you go get an EEG or an EKG, rather, um, you'll find that all of those little pieces come together. When you get a certain spectrum of those, a certain series of numbers, you have something that is uh, sort of an adverse cardiometabolic health status. So when all of those things are good, though, then your cardiometabolic health is considered good. Now, the reason that you throw the word metabolic in there is because unto itself, you have cardiac health or cardi the health of the cardiovascular system, but the health of the heart actually influences the health of the whole rest of the organism, right? So you have to look at it metabolically or holistically. In this particular case, if your heart is not working well, if it's not pumping blood effectively, 
very simply, um, all of those cells that are in the extremities of your body and the deepest, darkest areas of your body that have to have nutrients delivered and oxygen provided and waste taken away, if your heart is not functioning well, those things can be compromised as well. So you can have a, a compromise in your cellular health that is driven by your cardiac health. So that's uh, just an example. There are others um, that we can talk about as we go through the, uh, the, the, the conversation here, but cardiometabolic health, uh, endocrine health, the function of your endocrine system, uh, pancreas and things those that produce those uh, body regulating hormones and things like that. Cellular health as it relates to the health of the organism but also to cancer risk. Immunologic health which is a component of, of metabolic health. Liver and kidney function health and uh, neurological health, the brain and central nervous system. So that's major components, but all of those together add up to this idea of metabolic health. Those and many things more. Yes. Well, thank you very much, John, for being here and for kind of talking us about this interconnected system of metabolic health. Um, can we start just, how does this all correlate? Um, I know me life, our main vision with um, weight management program is having weight management, um, eating correctly and exercise seems very similar to what we're talking about. Am I on the right track, perhaps? Yeah, absolutely on the right track. The, the reality is that when the, the, the evidence that's in the scientific community right now says the single most important aspect of uh, your, your metabolic health, the single most important thing you can do is you can manage your weight. And I think we all sort of think about I should manage my weight because it's hard for my heart or maybe the overweight is hard on my joints. But what you have to realize is that when you're overweight it's hard on the entire system. Everything that goes on in your body is somehow adversely affected or influenced by being overweight or particularly being obese. So there's the, the physical challenge of that but the, the connection to metabolic health with overweight is whenever you are overweight extra weight causes extra inflammatory stress in the body. Okay, So being overweight is strongly associated with inflammation. And so if you put it in the context of, of realizing that it's not just the weight that's wearing on you, but it's the, the weight that generates this excess body fat, that generates this inflammatory stress, um, that's key. So when you look at the evidence, they put those two things together, the foundation of um, metabolic health is maintaining your weight, which maintains helps maintain that inflammatory status as well. So it's really key. And what we talk about, of course, is we talk about uh, the association between weight, maintaining your weight is really important and living a physically active life. And the reason is because if your weight's under control, you're more likely to be physically active. And if you're physically active, you're more likely to have your weight under control. So those two things are are sort of so strongly interrelated that they become the foundation of our sort of health pyramid, the neo-life lifestyle, if you will. Very important stuff. So touching on weight, um, I know you touched on the different, um, the different systems that metabolic health plays in. Um, and if we could just talk a little bit more, go a little deeper into depth of them, I think this seems to be correlating pretty nicely, um, you know, even with diabetes, and with cardiometabolic health. How does being overweight or obesity play into either one of those of those two? Well, I, there's, a, there's a couple of things here, you know. Um, everybody knows, I think, that if you're overweight, it puts stress on your heart. You have a 
lot more body that you need to provide mm -hmm. nutrients and oxygen to and take away the waste. So the bigger the body mass, the bigger the heart. And a lot of small people who have big body mass didn't get a big heart to survive it. So they didn't increase the size of the pump, if you will. So the pump is straining to keep up with the mass that it has to. So it puts a physical strain on the heart to be overweight. But it also puts a, a biochemical strain on the heart to be overweight as well. Because when you're overweight, remember we talked about inflammation, overweight being a driver of inflammation, ramping up inflammation in the body. And inflammation is one of the biggest problems that your heart will encounter. Your heart is working very hard. Next to your brain, the hardest working, well, it's the hardest working muscle. <laughs> your brain's not a muscle. Uh, but it, next to your brain, it's the biggest consumer of energy in your heart in a, in a 24-hour period, or in your body in a 24-hour period. So there's a lot of metabolic activity going on there. So you've got a lot of inflammation and oxidation associated with that activity. So when you're overweight and you've got that added inflammation, that inflammation that's naturally going on in the heart because of its function becomes stressed even more, becomes overloaded. So the, the two are very closely related. Also, when you're overweight, it, overweight tends to mess with your blood lipid profiles. Mm -hmm. People who are overweight tend to have higher cholesterol levels than they should, lower HDL cholesterol levels than they should, higher triglycerides than they should. They are more frequently likely to be prescribed one or more drugs to deal with that. People who are overweight have hypertension, high blood pressure. Again, often the, the answer would be for them to go get a drug rather than dealing with the underlying cause. We'll deal with the symptom, uh, which is, I don't want to be judgmental to that, but really you should deal with the cause. If you can deal with the cause, deal with the cause. So all of these factors add up when you're overweight. And, you know, it works. To me, it's pretty obvious how it impacts the heart, but what's surprising is how it impacts all the rest of the systems of the body. Yes, very important. It seems that way. So we talked about inflammation and we talked about being overweight. Now, when someone's overweight, um, not necessarily they mean that they are metabolically unhealthy. I know we, we talked briefly about this, but sometimes people that are skinny may still be metabolically unhealthy. Sure. Um, can you talk a little bit about what goes on in the body? How, how is this possible? Uh, well, you know, again, um, overweight is something that is not necessarily active in the metabolism other than inflammation. O overweight is a status you get to. It's a symptom. Being overweight is a symptom of overconsumption or under, under utilization of the nutrients you're consuming. And it puts a lot of stress on your body. But there's a lot of people who don't have issues with their body weight who can still be metabolically unhealthy. Uh, a lot of skinny people have blood cholesterol issues still. A lot of skinny people have um, diabetes or type 2 diabetes where they're no longer managing their glucose levels effectively. A lot of skinny people have issues with their kidneys or issues with their liver or whatever it might be. When I say skinny, I don't mean bone skinny. I mean just th they look to be thin. Sort of like the models that you see in these magazines, you know, they can be looking fabulous in their new gown, but they can be metabolically unhealthy. And the reason is in the background of all of that, there's other things going on. They're not getting the, um, the sort of nutrients they need. They're not getting the, the anti-inflammatory compounds they need. Their blood chemistry's sort of messed up. 
and as a result they can look great but really be metabolically unhealthy. Matter of fact, there's studies that show that you can be a little overweight but be metabolically healthy, meaning that you're taking, you're getting some exercise, you're managing the weight, you're not continuing to become obese, that you're eating lots of fruits and vegetables and whole grains and getting a lot of omega-3s and carotenoids and things like that that are the primary defenders of your body's tissues that are going on. And you can actually be healthier, healthier, metabolically healthier than a non-obese person, a skinny person. When you run all the numbers, um, though being overweight, certainly overweight obesity becomes a bigger challenge, but being overweight is not necessarily an indicator of, of um, being metabolically unhealthy. But it is a, an indicator of the long-term probability of it becoming a bigger, bigger challenge for you later in life. It's one thing to be a little overweight when you're 30-something and still out doing a little stuff. But by the time, you know, the rule is you put on about 10 pounds a decade. <laughs> so by the time you're 50 or 60, you got 20 or 30 pounds more on there, and now it's a real problem for you. So even though you may, you know, it's always good to take care of your weight. Even if you're metabolically healthy, it's still good to try to get that weight down, get the BMI down around 25, and, and uh, be aware of that. Of course. Now, you spoke about endocrine health and how with obesity sometimes comes diabetes um, type 2. Um, can you discuss why is it seems to be quite a correlation between sometimes overweight and type 2 diabetes? I know yeah. with looking at glucose balance, we saw such a surplus of, of sugars. Yeah. Is this well, correct? Th there, there is a very direct correlation between type 2 diabetes and um, weight. I mean, people who are overweight are at much greater risk of, of developing type 2 diabetes, especially as they age. So um, depending upon the research you look at, you could be three to four times more likely to develop diabetes just based upon your body mass. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that's, it's uh, a very direct association. But, you know, there are different forms of type 2 diabetes. And uh, there's the form of type 2 diabetes where you don't produce enough insulin, which comes back to this idea of endocrine metabolic health, right? The health of your metabolic health of your endocrine system, of which your pancreas is one of the components, and of which the production of insulin, the primary responsibility of the pancreas, is a, a, a component. So if you have poor endocrine metabolic health, and you have compromised pancreatic activity, you can develop type 2 diabetes simply by not being able to produce enough insulin uh, because this whole system is compromised leading up to the production of that. That's the sort of type 2 diabetic that you see that is insulin-dependent type 2 diabetes where they're having to inject insulin. Uh, so that's one form of type 2 diabetes. Another form of type 2 diabetes is when your pancreas is working fine and you're producing all of the, the sort of insulin that you need, but your cells stop responding to that insulin. You know, the way the body clears glucose out of the bloodstream is to secrete insulin and have that glucose taken up into the cells for the cells to either utilize as energy or to, vert, to convert to a form for storage, right? Convert a little, make it into a little fat. So hopefully it's using it for energy, but sometimes it's going to make a little fat. So, but if the cells stop responding to that insulin, you develop insulin-resistant type 2 diabetes, then um, that can become a problem. So those 
that's two ways, and both of those, the, the one of them relates to the endocrine pancreatic health, the other relates to the cellular, or cellular metabolic health, because the cells stop responding. When we developed um, glucose balance, we looked across that entire spectrum, right? We said, well, our goal here is not to develop a drug that's going to do this job for the body or for the person, but to give the body some nutrients that we know that promote these actions happening naturally. So part of the component of, of glucose balance is to help support natural pancreatic production of, in, of insulin, right? Because for a portion of the population, especially pre-diabetics, that can be an issue. Another part of it on the, is to promote cell sensitivity to insulin in the body, to help the body's cells um, be receptive to insulin so if, when the insulin is present, the glucose gets moved out. Really, really important. But there's a couple of other things that are, are involved in there. One of the things that we know about is called postprandial glucose response. And basically, postprandial glucose, postprandial means after you've eaten something, very technical scientific term for having a sandwich. Excuse me. But um, in postprandial blood glucose, we know that sometimes those glucose levels happen really quickly from our investigations into glycemic response control. We know why these things react. So for some people, as they become pre-diabetic, managing the rate at which glucose enters the bloodstream, you know, and how much and how quickly, uh, becomes a challenge. You can certainly deal with that challenge with a glycemic response control shake because it's already glycemically response control. But people do eat other things. Mm -hmm. And when you're eating those other things, um, it's the, our idea was to give them a little help, a little, in, a little sort of metabolic support to deal with that postprandial blood glucose. And in fact, a great deal of the evidence that's behind the uh, ingredients used in this, this product, the, the curcuminoids and the, and the uh, components from cinnamon are show benefit for postprandial blood glucose. And then, you know, out of all of that becomes the fasting blood glucose numbers. Fasting blood glucose really is just a reflection of how quickly your blood glucose levels re revert to their baseline. Usually that's no more than 100. Uh, and as long as you're after a period of time fasting, which is generally about eight hours, as long as they fall below that 100 level, then uh, that's good. That process, though, is, is entirely dependent upon metabolism and a few things that are involved there. And for some people, getting it below 100 becomes a problem. For pre-diabetics, usually that's one of the indicators of pre-diabetes, is it doesn't go below 100. It's 105 or 110 or 120 or 130 or 40. Generally, when it gets up to 140, your doctor's trying to give you glucophage or one of these um, glucose-lowering drugs. But below that, it can be managed often just by helping rebalance things. So glucose balance helps to rebalance that aspect of glucose metabolism as well. Very important. So I see a trend going on between obesity, inflammation, and I can't help but put us on the next topic, which I found very enlightening, and that was cancer and how obesity and cancer kind of play um, a close role. And so I wanted to see if you could tell me more and the listeners uh, about some of the studies that you um, sure. saw. Uh, you know, if you think about it, it's not a surprise that obesity plays a role in cancer. Overweight and obesity plays a role in cancer. 
um, because we know that overweight and obesity drive inflammation, and inflammation is the one of the two evil twins of aging and disease, oxidation and inflammation. And inflammation is, if not an instigator of cancer, a promoter of cancer. You can have a carcinogenic event, which is called the initiation or instigation, but then there's the promotional cycle that causes that cancer to start to grow. And inflammation is known to be a promoter. But we now know that ins inflammation uh, related to obesity is um, also a cause, or there's a, a more direct causal effect. Uh, I've been reading a couple of studies recently, one from the American Association of Cancer Research that, that looked into obesity, metabolic health, and how it can influence cancer risk. And I'll just excerpt a couple of things from this first study here. It was published in the Journal of, of Clinical Oncology in 2014. It says, individuals who are overweight or, or obese are at increased risk of several types of cancer, colorectal cancer, endometrial cancer, gallbladder cancer, kidney cancer, pancreatic cancer, and postmenopausal breast cancer, as well as adenocarcinoma types of esophageal cancer. So we know that now. That's not, they didn't say we think or might be, that we know that that's the case, that there's overweight and obesity play roles in there. Um, the, so much so that it's to give it a sort of marker, I think the researchers uh, did us a favor when they contexted it this way. This is a direct quote from the uh, lead researcher in this study who says, quote, obesity is a major underrecognized contributor to the nation's cancer toll and is quickly overtaking tobacco as the leading cause of preventable cancers. Now, think about that. You know, we know beyond any question that, you know, tobacco causes cancer. If you don't believe that, then okay. But uh, believe me, it, there's a direct correlation between um, tobacco and cancer, and not just lung cancer. cancer. When you smoke, you're at higher risk of all sorts of different kinds of cancer. Uh, part of the reason why that's true is because smoking causes inflammation in the lungs and the surrounding tissue, okay? and tissues throughout the body. Well, when we think of obesity now, we know that obesity, overweight and obesity cause inflammation. So the key link here, the same mechanism that's involved in can cancer risk increase from tobacco, which would be inflammatory, is now associated with being overweight or obese as well. And in that context, it sort of makes sense. So it's, I think it's important that people give some consideration of that. Another study, uh, there were two studies published here recently uh, 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 in the American Association of Cancer Research and also with this Cancer Research, Cancer Epidemiology, Biomarkers and Prevention. And uh, one study uh, I thought was particularly succinct when they concluded that poor metabolic health increases the risk of postmenopausal breast cancer irrespective of body mass in women. So for women out there, okay, um, when, you're, when you're overweight, it's one thing, but when you have poor metabolic health, whether you're overweight or not, you're, incre you have an in you're at an increased risk of breast cancer, especially postmenopausal females. So it's another one of these relationships that says, what do I manage? Well, managing your weight's important, but you, that's not really the whole deal. That's just part of the puzzle. You need to manage your weight, you need to think about your diet, you need to work on um, the inflammatory components, eliminating the inflammatory and maximizing the anti-inflammatory. And then there was one last thing here from the Cancer Epidemiology Biomarkers and Prevention. It says researchers found that metabolic syndrome, which as we talked about earlier, which is just a component of 
of, in, in the metabolic health equation, increases endometrial cancer risk independent, again, of whether or not you are overweight or obese. So if you have metabolic syndrome, which overweight and obesity is a component of that, even if you don't and all those other markers are off, cholesterol, triglycerides, blood pressure, glucose, and so on and so forth, you are at increased risk of endometrial cancer. So this combination of things all comes back to the common driver of um, being overweight, promotes inflammation, and inflammation promotes cancers. Wow. So I see how everything is very interconnected. And so I guess, like anything else, I kind of want to see if we can next say, how can, this, how can I avoid this? What can we do to avoid these common ailments? Well, I think that you know, the, key, the key is really follow the Neolife lifestyle because our whole lifestyle program is based on the concept of what to avoid and what to embrace to maximize your probability of health and minimize your risk of disease while living a long, functional life. So, um, you know, our approach, again, of looking first at the foundation of health, which is that manage your weight and get some exercise because of the relationship between those two. You can't, if you're managing your weight, you're more likely to exercise, and if you're exercising, you're more likely to be managing your weight. So that's really functionally really functionally important for this. But the other thing to know is to look at the rest of your diet and lifestyle. Diet is a modulator of metabolic health, meaning that when your diet is effective, your metabolic health is maximized. And, but when your diet is poor, your metabolic health is compromised. It's throughout the system. It starts right at the cells, as I said, goes from cells to tissues to organs to systems of the body. So the thing that you want to do is you want to minimize. Let's talk about inflammation, okay, for example. You want to minimize the intake of inflammatory factors in your, in your diet. The inflammatory factors are all of these industrialized food products, right? Things that are high in fat and trans fat, high in cholesterol, um, got a lot of uh, sort of chemistry to them that is unusual to the human body. A lot of uh, an overload of omega-6 fats that come from industrial foods. And two things happen there. Generally, when you're consuming a lot of those, you're not consuming a lot of the good stuff on the other side. The anti-inflammatory fats like omega-3s and the anti-inflammatory compounds like polyphenols that you'd find in fruits and vegetables and, and the like. So you need to cut down on the uh, intake of the things that you know are bad for you. They don't sell anything anti-inflammatory at a fast food restaurant, <laughs> if you were wondering. Matter of fact, there are very few things in most restaurants that would be considered truly anti-inflammatory. 